Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. She played for the Bridgewater Chill, Saxville Sonics, and Tigers Volleyball Club in Nova Scotia, where she's a three-time provincial champion. She's played for Team Nova Scotia. She was one of the first wave of Volleyball Canada's National Excellence Program, and she's currently with the Dalhousie Tigers. Please welcome to the show, Bella Noble. Bella, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. So we, we've been lucky. I'd say we, we've got guests from all over Canada, but we haven't got too many Nova Scotia athletes, and I don't think we've had anyone from Chester. So just set the scene for me. What's the what's the sports scene there in Chester? What's the volleyball scene? Like, how did you get into volleyball? So Chester's pretty tiny. I think we have about 10,000 people living there. So sports isn't big. I mean, soccer is. But other than that, volleyball is definitely not big. There's only a couple of volleyball players from Chester, and I happen to be one of them. So. When I started playing club, I had to leave Chester and go to a close town, Bridgewater, which is actually pretty big in volleyball, and have had some successful volleyball players in the past come from there, including Courtney Baker. So I played for some club teams there, got my name out there, played for some good coaches there, and eventually went on to Team Nova Scotia programs, and then from there, just kind of took off. Nice, and with... Uh... You switching clubs a little bit, was that based on like you just getting older? Because I think the same thing happens in Ontario where really 16-year girls is like the peak and it seems like every club can offer a 16-year girls team, but then it starts to whittle down. So when you started getting older and knew that you wanted to play university and play for our national team, is that when you had to choose to start looking at other clubs or maybe asking mom and dad to drive you a little bit further? Definitely, definitely. A lot of girls may stop playing after you 16 just with other sports and other commitments. So with players leaving some of the clubs I had already played for, it was time for me to go to some other clubs more in Halifax. And that's when I went to Tigers, which is kind of Dalhousie's club team. And then I got to know Rick a little bit and played there. And that was an incredible team. And I played there for two years. Nice, nice. And with that Tigers club, uh, are is it directly affiliated or is it just kind of a coincidence? Well, not a coincidence. I'm sure it's by design, but some clubs will use the name and it's kind of a community thing where other things like would Rick attend practices? Would other assistant coaches run the club where the players around? Like uh, how connected did you feel to Dow from playing for Tigers? Oh, it was great. It was definitely very connected. A lot of our assistant coaches were players on the Dow teams at the times. And then occasionally Rick would come to practices and help coach and help out with all the players because he wants to see those players as well too because they're some of the top players in Nova Scotia. So it was very connected to Dow, but it was also its own kind of club. Nice, nice. And I, I'm a big Nova Scotia fan in a sense of what uh, Jason and John and the other staff are doing out there. It seems like there's a lot of passionate people working in volleyball. But uh, I have to ask, when you were a Center of Excellence athlete, uh, when Center of Excellence first started, and I was lucky enough to be one of them, we were 6 to 8 a.m. practices, and even as a coach, it was hard. So I imagine as an athlete who had to go to school after, it was getting pretty tricky. Were you a 6 to 8 kid, or were you lucky to like maybe have one morning a week and go on the weekends? Like, How much time were you putting in to be a part of these VCCE programs? I was lucky to be on the weekends. Uh, I wasn't in the first year of this, so kind of in the second year I joined in, and it was on Sundays in the morning. But also on those days, I would sometimes 
come in just with Don Elliott in the mornings and some weekdays, just seven to nine before school, which was also great. Just in Chester, he would drive out, which was incredible. <laughs> so I didn't have to drive back to Chester from somewhere else. But it was usually mornings, but usually on the weekends, which was really nice. And from an athlete perspective, what do you think the Center of Excellence program offered? Because I think when you're when you're preaching to the choir to volleyball coaches, it's like it's extra training. Uh, I wasn't coaching any of the athletes in competition, so it's like just change the mood in the practice gym. So I'm curious with you going through, like, what are those extra reps or those extra lifts or workouts or all that stuff? Like, how do you think that helps you pre- uh, prepare you either for the NEP program or for youth sports? It was really helpful preparing me for the NEP program, especially because that program is so designed with the national team of what they're teaching. So I learned a lot of what I was learning going into the National Excellence Program. And the extra reps were just so beneficial for everybody there, not just myself. Really technical, really process-based because we weren't playing any competition with that group. So it was all just, okay, this is the mistake you're making. Here's how you fix it. And then you work for however long the program is to make those changes and you see a huge improvement by the end of it. Yeah, that's great. And with Nova Scotia and the growth there and getting more and more people involved, uh, what was your entry point to Team Nova Scotia? Like, how young were you and what was the program that you were first able to play in? Because uh, I don't think Canada Cup is now uh, trickled down to like a 16U event, but it hasn't always been that way. So when was the first time you could play for uh, VNS? The first time I played for VNS was in 2016. I played for a U15 team when I was 12 years old. (laughs) So I was one of the youngest on the team. And probably one of the worst on the team as well. But I was setting, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> and yeah, that year was just incredible. It was Eastern Elites. We didn't have a Canada Cup at that age group. So that was just the Maritime Provinces competing in, I believe it was Newfoundland, which was a really cool road trip to get there. So that was kind of my entry point into Team Nova Scotia. And then I've played on the team since then, every summer. That's awesome because uh, Canada Western has their own games uh, for Eastern Elites. How often was that happening? And was it always like a 16U program or did that one grow with your career as well? Because uh, I imagine once you can go to a National Team Challenge Cup or a Canada Cup, maybe Easterns don't happen as much. But uh, is that an annual event? Is that every other year? Like how often could you go compete in that? Yeah, Eastern Elites was every year. I think it might just be only for U15s because... When we got to U16, we did Canada Cup, which was in Halifax. But it was every summer. Nice. And as you kept climbing the ladder here with Volleyball Nova Scotia, like with you being from the same town as Courtney Baker, with her being a little bit older and you're seeing her sling it, like is that what made you want to be a setter? Or how did you get uh, into the position you eventually chose? Uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of a funny story. I was always a setter. They basically took me against a wall the first time I had ever touched a volleyball and said, only this ball and it was just carries every time almost to my chest but they said I had really soft hands and that they wanted me to be a setter I was like okay I'll do it just as a naive like 10 year old <laughs> and <laughs> from there I just kept playing and then of course seeing Courtney Baker play for us and what coaches that I played for it's been nice to see somebody else do it but I want to follow my own path as well and be known for myself 
That's awesome. And I'm sure we'll touch on this in a second because we were talking before the show about the NEP where you weren't uh, considered one of the taller players. But I think sometimes in club, the, the tall kid gets put either in the middle or as a right side where you got to play a pretty skilled position from a young age. So did you have a growth spurt early on? Like, were you always like the tall and lanky kid, for lack of a better term? Or were you a little bit smaller? And maybe that's what made a coach think you could set? I, think I was always pretty tall. I don't know what they saw. Um, both my parents played volleyball on the setter, so maybe it was that. Nice, nice. And and I got to know, I think in general, like, uh, obviously me being older, when the NEP program got announced, like, everybody's excited, like, what a great idea, like, what a great, great thing. But for you being, you know, a teenager having to go through it, like, how did you hear about it? And then where was your tryout? Because I think Shannon was doing some globetrotting where she tried to do one in each. I, I don't think she could visit every province, but she tried to visit like each kind of major region. So uh, what was the first news you got of it? And then what was the first tryout like? Um, the first news of it was actually, I found it on the Volleyball Canada website the day it came out, I believe. And I read it and I was like, oh my God, I have to try out for this. So I went up to John Elliott, my coach. The next day I was like, hey, what is this? Can I try out for this? Can I sign up? He was like, I hardly even knew about that. He just found <laughs> out about it. And he was like, of course you can try out. And we had a tryout in Halifax, again, lucky, in February 2020, which seems so long ago now. And so Shannon traveled across the country, went to a bunch of different provinces, not all of them, but I think this was the only one in the Maritimes. And then I was selected to go to Nap from there, and here I went. <laughs> So what was the, the conversation like? Obviously, as a volleyball decision, this is like lights out. This is a great opportunity. But the logistics that go into what I mean by that is you're going to spend a, a semester away from family. Like you're going to have to switch schools. Uh, your friendship group is obviously going to change because now you're going to be living in Richmond. Uh, where do you find out when you're living in Richmond? Are you in a hotel? Do you get billets? Like what was the conversation with your parents about one, if I make it, can I do this? And then two, how did it come together that like when you get there, you can just think about volleyball versus where you're going to live and all the other stuff? Um, yeah, I talked to my parents about it previously, even before the ID camp in Halifax. And we basically said, like, if I get selected, I'm going. It doesn't matter. We'll figure it out. And then I got selected and I was like, OK, so I'm going. <laughs> and we just figured out school. So I did my school online. Um, I started my school online actually over the summer, which was really lucky. I did. Something called, called um, correspondence, I believe. And basically, they would send me a document of schoolwork, and I would just like do the work as I finished it, and I would hand it in to my teacher. So I had like no in person classes. It was all this like one big Word document I do. And so I started that over the summer, had one class pretty much done by the time I went to the National Excellence Program. And then I only had one class while I was there. And then we figured out who we were staying with before we even went. So we would hop on calls with the families that we were going to stay with and got to know them a little bit. And then once we got there, we stayed with them. It was amazing. Yeah, that sounds like a, a great setup. And it sounds easier than I thought it was going to be logistically. But uh, as somebody who's done online school, I thought it was painful. And I was in my 20s when I did it. So I can only imagine as a teenager, like, are you pretty dedicated to a schedule or how are you doing it? Because like you said, they send you a bunch of stuff and you just, you have to finish it by a certain date, but it doesn't give you enough structure that like on Tuesday at 10, you know, you're doing something. So how did you set it up that you didn't like have to finish three, three months of coursework in like two weeks before it was due? Starting early over the summer was definitely a big thing because I could just take a couple hours a week and just say, I'm going to do as many assignments as I can right now and do them well. 
rather than having to set five hours of time aside every day because I was so bored over the summer, even though it was quarantine. Um, but then going to nap, we also had five hours or so of school time dedicated each day in a classroom with like a supervisor slash teacher there. So that was also really helpful. But I struggled more doing it at nap because I loved watching volleyball on my laptop. <laughs> but <laughs> I got it done. And I wrote my exams when I got back to Nova Scotia and everything went smoothly. So take me through a typical day or a typical week at NAP. Like when you mentioned there, there's time block out for school, obviously like that's, that's a demand of the program with the, the age of the athletes they're working with. But uh, when would you train? When would you lift? When would you have team meetings and all that stuff? And then when was the school time? Like what, what was a typical day for you to be at the Oval versus at home doing schoolwork or with, the, with your group in like a study hall? Sure. Um, we train five days a week, all weekdays, so Monday through Friday. And we would train usually from 9 to 11.30 a.m. After that, we'd have some time set aside for lunch. And on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we would also lift. So one group would lift right after practice, and another group would go in and lift right after that group. And then, of course, lunch, get ready to do some school. And then we'd do some schoolwork for four or five hour blocks. If you were done your schoolwork for the day, you could leave early. And... It was a pretty simple schedule, which was actually really nice, but it was a great schedule. Great two hour and a half training block every day. Sometimes setters would come in early, 30 minutes extra for reps. And it was just really organized. It was set up incredibly well. And how did uh, the, the coaches and the staff around it kind of bring everybody together? Because once again, great idea to bring like the, the top talent and get them to train together. But you've got this kid from Chester and this kid from Edmonton and this kid from Vancouver. And, and like you're just bringing together these strangers who are all high-level volleyball players, but there's like a social dynamic to it. So was there any team-building exercises? Was there any way to like meet some of the athletes? Or did you just show up at the Oval and you saw a bunch of tall people and you're like, these are these are my new best friends. Like, How did it all come together as far as like the size of the group and making sure everybody got along? Well, immediately as the names got released, all of us kind of found each other on social media and made a group chat right away. And we all started talking about how excited we were. And then we'd like make connections that way. And then all our coaches had set up some Zoom calls, some team bonding things, even before it started. We had some Facebook group chat where we'd make TikToks and do like challenges <laughs> just to get to know each other better. And then when, once we got to the Oval, it was really organized as well. We had a, like an orientation day where we just went around the Oval, got to know everybody, got some of our gear, and just everybody got to know each other. Everybody became a really close like tight-knit family while we were there and everybody was super welcoming just not only to me because I I didn't know anybody going into the program but everybody it seemed like felt really really just involved nice and uh who else was around the program? Because uh, obviously Shannon's leading and she's the head coach of the program. But uh, I'm wondering, was there any senior A players or senior B players around Richmond who were also getting their reps who maybe didn't uh, pursue like a pro contract that year? Like who else was around as far as like coaches or, or people you could look up to who were just happen to be home that are also like pro volleyball players? Uh, while we were in BC, the FTC or full-time training program was also running. So I think they were also being coached by Shannon, which was nice. So those were a lot of senior A national team players, some next-gen players, some pro players who hadn't signed a contract for that, that year because of COVID. So they were also training, which was really nice to see them train 
like we'd go watch them play sometimes if they were doing six on six. It would just be fun to watch them play. And we also had Danny Smith, who's a setter with the national team, who recently retired, I believe. Um, and she would come in and do some setting reps with some setters, I believe every Wednesday. And then she also helped their group with mental performance. And it was just really nice to have some experience around us and to learn from that experience, not only just watching, but also talking to them. Now, one thing that I find challenging for really any athlete, but I think especially on the youth side, is training for the sake of training. So here we are, you, you gather these this great group of athletes together, but man, there's there's no competitions. There's no time to like really like apply it in a performance level. So as an athlete, how did you get over that mindset where like, yeah, learning and developing is awesome, but like because you didn't have anybody cross the net to really battle with, like, well, was there anything they did in training or anything you did as an athlete to really challenge yourself without the, the reward of competition or a Saturday tournament coming up? Uh, it became just really about improving every day and just like using every rep as an opportunity to get 1% better. And I think everybody really bought into that. Every Friday, we would try to have a six-on-six match, red versus black, which was incredibly competitive for us. And we also played against Trinity Western a couple times, which was great competition for us. And But it was competitive in practice, too, because everybody wanted to get better, and everybody pushed each other to get better. And so even looking from the beginning of the program to the end of the program, I saw improvement in every single person, not just skill-wise, but also like competitively. Yeah, that's that's great. Were the red and black teams, were you the same? So you knew you had your group and it was going to be a battle every week? Or did they try to mix it up so that rivalry didn't like slowly build into like a, a big Friday showdown? Um, no, it switched up every week. So I believe it was usually the day before they would announce kind of the teams. And then we'd show up the next day, get with our teams, do serve and pass, warm up with our teams, and then go to work, compete, play, try to win. And we touched on this earlier. Uh, you're you're not short by any means. Like you're, I think they they list you as five ten. But uh, I just thought it was funny. Share with the listeners uh, in the list of tallest to shortest. Where were you with this any NEP program? I was third shortest, <laughs> arguably second. One of the ribs is almost taller than me, but <laughs> I was third shortest, only to the ribs being below me. So there, there's definitely some physical athletes coming down the pipeline. It sounds like. Yeah, there's a lot of height coming down the pipeline and a lot of people who can jump. That's great. So with, with Danny around the program, and then I, I think the setting position has definitely changed a lot. Back when uh, Tom took over the program, like working on like the, the speed that USA was running and the footwork they're doing, that in uh, speaking to like Bree King and, and Kim Robitaille on the show, like it can be challenging because there was so much demand on the setters. And sometimes as a setter, you're tempted to be like, oh, that's on me. And like you, the, the middle didn't connect. And instead of saying like, well, no, I'm going to keep it the same. You come faster or whatever. Like, how did you deal with those conversations that you had to change your footwork? I'm sure your hand positioning. I'm sure the timing of some of these sets, but also the conversation about like, who's going to fix what? Because Bree mentioned like, if we're both trying to fix something, we're never going to connect on it because we're always tweaking it versus like somebody has to own it and, and take control of the feedback a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what we did there. For the first couple of weeks, maybe even month, it was a bit difficult just because we were making huge changes, not only as setters, but our outsides, our middles, our opposites. So making those changes and even hearing from coaches just that first month who really knew where the error was made. And then after that, one of us would just take charge, like, hey, you need to set that ball faster, or I will set that ball faster, or that was a good set, maybe be a little bit earlier taking charge and having one person make a change so eventually we would get a connection 
And was there any set like you feel like you, you had to work on a lot? Uh, like with the middles, like were you used to running the like the shoot that fast or, or the slide? Like uh, when you're kind of like slinging it into a zone, like were, were any of those challenging or were you pretty comfortable because you had gone through like your provincial team and center of excellence and all that? Uh, getting there, the tempo was a lot faster than what I've been used to ever before, especially with the outsides. I found middle wasn't a huge difference other than setting like a slide or a step. I hadn't really set many steps before in my life, so having that be such a common run was definitely a huge difference for me, but I'd say the tempo to the pins was the biggest adjustment, especially the first month, but what they taught it really well with your arms and how you're finishing with your hands, that once you got it, it kind of just became muscle memory and where you were in the court, and then it, it became a lot about footwork, timing, rhythm with your feet, and just getting your feet to the ball, hands in the ball, being neutral. Now, do you guys want to run that same speed in transition? Because every once in a while, you, you see like a really good dig, and I, I saw it a lot at BNL with our women's team. Like they are slinging it to Kira and Hillary and the other outside. So uh, even at the NEP level, were you guys encouraged to like speed up the pace of play, even off like a transition dig? Oh, absolutely! If we had an opportunity to be in system, even in transition, running a fast offense, we'd take it if we could, because that's going to put stress in the other team's middle. They're not going to be able to close a block if our outsides or middles, for that case, are going to have a much higher probability of scoring. Now, is that an audible call, or is it just one of those things that if you train it enough, like everybody knows it when you see it? Like when you had to either go to a high ball or you did want to like set a laser beam to the pin, uh, who's deciding that, and how does like both the outside and you know it's about to happen? That's usually the outside, this audible calling or our middle calling, but if it's kind of known. In a lot of situations, if you're way too far off the net to run any tempo, you're going to need to run a high ball because if you're running tempo from really far off the net, it's less likely that you're going to connect. And with training, it would improve. But when you're seven, eight meters off the net and you're setting a laser, it might be <laughs> into the antenna if the hitter doesn't connect or cut it off. So it just is very situational, but most times, the hitter and the setter just kind of know what the correct call is. Nice, nice. And you mentioned the other team's middles, really who you're playing against. So with the speed of the game happening and everything else you have to worry about, like, is there, are you deliberately taking a look at the other team's middle? Like, is there a way to sense when they're there? Like, is there a way to know that your middle is kind of pulling away and there is going to be a seam? Like, how do you gather that information when, like, the serve's already in play? Serve, pass, and then you have to make this decision, like, are you peaking? Are you using video to kind of get a head start on their tendencies? Like, how are you, you know, uh, processing all this information before you make the right decision? For me, it's a lot of video just beforehand, seeing what middle's tendencies are, if they're cheating one way or the other, depending on what our middle's doing, depending on where the pass is. But I really want to start working on taking a peek at the other team's middle, because I think that could be really helpful, especially just either in transition, on a really good pass, see where they're going especially if they're a really good middle and they're staying stationary and they're able to close the pin, see what they're doing. Nice, nice. And I think another thing that's really helped with the, the women's program, especially, is just the value of the serve. That it, Some people are just absolutely cracking their serves right now. So was that something that they put a lot of emphasis on? Like, did you guys get the speed gun out? Or were you talking about, like, what zones are more valuable than others? Like, with that being such an individual skill, I imagine everybody at NEP got a little bit better at serving. Maybe except for the libs, but everybody else probably got a lot of serving reps. Um, we got a lot of serving reps. Uh, definitely, they had the radar gun out, and we talked a lot about zones. Block 
a lot about serving on the line, sharp cross, and just hitting those serves in a like speed range, high 60s, low 70s, anything that you can like get in consistently with a good flow, tough speed to pass, and a, like a really good location. And we worked a lot on that. We worked a lot <laughs> on that, and we all got really a lot better on, at serving. And yeah, it was. I was happy to not be serviceeving against a lot of our servers. I was gonna say, like, I, that sounds awesome, and I know it's the goal. But could people by the end of the program be hitting seventy inbounds consistently? Yeah, there are a couple of our players who definitely could be, and they were intimidating coming across the net. Just standing watching because I know it's a tough serve coming. Just watching the ball, and I'm not even passing the ball. Yeah, that's pretty gnarly. <laughs> um, so, with you setting and obviously a strong emphasis on the transition side of the game, did you feel like you had to serve from area one a lot? And that, like, you could still serve. Don't get me wrong; you could still serve sharp cross and line to line and stuff. But you see some maybe six back players be able to move along the baseline a little bit more. Did you feel like you had to really master just going from zone one because it's so important to get in, play defense, transition, and do everything else you're responsible for? I've always served from zone one. That's it's been something I've always done, but I'd say mastering that was definitely important. We probably could have had the opportunity to move along the line, give passes different angles, but mastering your best serve was probably most important because those passes are going to be facing a tough serve regardless. So mastering your best serve from that spot is going to put a lot of pressure on them and hopefully generating a pass that's not a three. And with some of the arms you guys had and some of the athletes, uh, was there any emphasis on spin serving or did it just feel like the, the float serve, if you can get into the 70s and you can get it consistent, like that's that's the moneymaker right now? Yeah, we didn't talk too much about spin serves. It was mostly float just because that's been proven to be so effective in the women's game recently. Just with how high the net is, how fast the ball can come. It doesn't have to go up and down. It can go pretty much just down if you're above the net enough. Nice, nice. And you mentioned uh, that video may have distracted you a little bit from your homework. So uh, I understand that your practice video would be available. That I'm sure you had access to like a national team database. Like when you found time or made time to watch video, what was the first thing that really caught your eye? Like, would you want to watch yourself in practice? Or were you trying to watch uh, like Danny or Bree or Kim set? Like what were the things that you really would like just burn some hours on in, in watching video? Uh, we had a lot of video on ourselves, especially from our red versus black matches so i'd watch those back watch all my sets just watch the games back but i also watched a lot of national team setters whether it be the u.s or our national team so brie king danny smith i watched a lot of alicia glass at the 2016 olympics just with her doing the pivot sets especially to the right side because that's what i really want to work on slow down the video frame by frame just trying to figure out what they're doing and what i can try to emulate there working for my game. Nice, nice. And when you returned home and you got back to either your school team and your club team and, and all that stuff, uh, I think it can be really tempting to do the stuff you're doing with the national team, but let's be honest, like that was 20 of the top athletes in the country and it's, it's I don't think it's always fair to expect a left side who's not investing the same hours and had the same coaching to do the same thing. So was there a little bit of frustration or were you pretty understanding that you couldn't set like the same three-step go that you were setting to your outsides there or anything? Like, did you feel like you had to uh, adjust what you had just learned or could you apply most of it with your club team? It was definitely an adjustment, but I think I could apply most of what I was learning. Um, the tempo may have not been quite as fast, but I can still work on a lot of technical things like my footwork, my hands, my body position. 
it's just the finish of my hands it might just be a little bit higher than it would be for running a quick go or something really quick with our middles. So it was an adjustment just with tempo and but other than that, it was very similar. And when you, uh, I guess we'll skip ahead. I'm just curious now while we're talking about it with Dalhousie, is it similar to the national team speed or is there still like a, a just a touch lower than what Shannon wants to run on the national team again, because of the hours available to train and the athletes, there just working on that connection. Like, would you say U sports is pretty close or is there still another step to what the national team's running in terms of tempo? I'd say it's fairly close. There's definitely a step between the tempos. Um, Dal, we're trying to run our outsides on their second step with the national team being more two and a half, three. So there's definitely a step where between university sports and the national team, just with how fast the tempo is, our outsides still have a chance to adjust to a set versus with the national team, our set has to be, I guess, on the money. <laughs> and there's not really too much of an opportunity to adjust because the ball just has to be there. Nice, nice. Okay, so just to, to tell the Dal story here, uh, obviously with you being from Nova Scotia, you played for Tigers. Like, I think a lot of people are nodding their head. They're like, oh, it's obvious she was going to Dal since like she started playing volleyball. But uh, I am curious, what was the process? Uh, did you pursue any other schools or any other coaches talking to you, whether it was youth sports, CCAA, NCAA? Like, when you started to look at post-secondary, where did your attention go first? Um, my attention immediately went to the NCAA. Um, so I got it identified for NEP and then immediately sent out a bunch of emails to NCAA schools in, I think it was April 2020, which was late for recruiting in NCAA. A lot of players are signing in September, <laughs> um, October, November, December 2019 for my year. So I was a couple months late. So I didn't expect to get too many emails back of interest, and I didn't get too many back. It was either, we've already signed a setter for you, good luck, or we don't need a setter for you here. But I did end up getting a couple emails back, a little bit of interest. It was difficult with COVID because I couldn't go visit, and they couldn't come up to Canada to watch. A couple schools wanted to, but it ended up not working out. And then I reached out to a lot of Canadian schools. I had already been talking to Rick quite a bit, just being from Nova Scotia, and then I was looking in Canada West, the OUA, talked to some incredible coaches around the country, but ultimately decided to settle with Dalhousie just because I know Rick so well. He's a great coach, and I can train with him over the summer as well, which is super valuable for those extra reps. And I know what he wants. He wants to win, and that's the same with me. So with you already having a relationship with Rick, because you, you knew him when you were younger, uh, and like you said, like there, there was a lot of things that made sense. I got to know, you're you're still an NEP athlete, and you could have went anywhere. Like, Did he lay it on pretty thick? Like, I'm learning through doing the show that Rick is a pretty good recruiter. He's going to take you to all the spots in Halifax. He's going to show off the city. Like, Did he try to really impress you, or did he feel like he already had you one foot in the door and he didn't have to do that much? Like, How was the actual recruiting trip? I didn't have a recruiting Oh, Rick, come on. <laughs> I, no, I knew Rick pretty well. Um, I had talked to Rick for the last couple of years. I had always been at the summer camps. I'd been playing for pretty much his club team. I've been in gym and practiced with the team previously. So I had known him pretty well. And we had a ton of Zoom calls, just especially over COVID, because doing in-person visits were incredibly difficult. But it was almost like I had already done an in-person visit because I had practiced with the team at Dow Flex. And then for Canada Cup, I basically stayed on campus at Dow for a week. So I already had some experience at Dow. 
I feel like he owes you a couple dinners. I don't even know if that's allowed in like the spirit of you sports or what the per diem is on the road, but I feel like some other people got the red carpet and, and you missed out. I've definitely been to a couple dinners with Rick, though. <laughs> he loves bringing out his players, and me and my mom went out for breakfast, breakfast with them a couple months ago. He loves taking us around Halifax. I was just going to say, I think Halifax is so beautiful, and he knows all the spots, so he, I think all the players should benefit from that somehow. So. <laughs> Definitely. So when you get on campus with, with uh, Dal, what's the feeling in the gym? Like, uh, because you're an NDP athlete, you're a provincial team athlete, like, did you have any expectations and put a lot of pressure on yourself that you want to start right away? Like, you want to be getting all the first team reps in practice? Like, what was your mood entering, like, the training gym uh, on those first uh, couple days with Dal? Um, what? Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'd say it was just, again, what I had been used to just improve. It's a step up from players I've been playing with recently and similar to the National Excellence Program, just with level of play. These girls are five years older than me. I threw in my spot. And it became just improve every day, get to know the team, do what the team needs to win. And that's what everybody kind of bought into. And that's what we're all working towards. And with Dow, like obviously a great school and it does attract people from all over. Like I'm just looking at your roster now and you've got girls from Alberta, you've got girls from Ontario, uh, all over the Maritimes it looks like. So was there any effort uh, you put into the team building or did you kind of steal from the NEP program where you've got all these people who are now, it's a little bit different than NEP, I guess, because the ages are different, but you've got people from all over the country. Like how did you guys start to put it together so you could be like good on the court? Uh, it was this kind of an instant connection for everybody. Everybody just loved each other right away. We all walked into the gym for our first practice and just kind of fell in love with each other. It was just, everybody was so welcoming to all us rookies. And then, especially because of last year was COVID, uh, everybody got close then and we all kind of talked to them over Zoom calls as well. Um, it was just super, super, super welcoming. And maybe this wasn't too high on your radar because obviously there's a lot to pursue when you want to go to Dow, but did you kind of look at how many conference championships they've won and like how well they've done at nationals and players moved on to the national team? Like, is there ever a, a sense of maybe, maybe I, I bet this doesn't come from Rick, but from the alumni that like, it's just expected that Dalhousie is going to be competitive and probably win every single year. Um, yeah, definitely with the amount of titles Dell's had the past years, it's, kind of look at us that we should be a competitive team. But there's so many competitive teams in the AUS this year. We're really hoping to win again, but it's going to be a battle. It's a battle every year. Like, the AUS is a good conference this year. We have some major competition, and whoever's in the finals of AUS competing to go to nationals, it's going to be a tough game, and it's going to be exciting. And you just missed Courtney Baker, but was she able to talk to you about uh, either the system Rick likes to run or the other coaches? Like, uh, it seems like you guys will always be connected because of the position you play and where you grew up, but you didn't actually get to share a team room with her and kind of have like the mentorship thing be natural. But uh, I'm curious, did you get to talk to her about Dow or the AUS or kind of what to expect in those those categories? Oh, I definitely have in the past, especially just how close we are, like proximity-wise. We've trained together. We've talked about Dow Hosey together the national team. And we've had lots of conversations just about the team, what they run. And it's been super helpful coming into Dallas, just having some level of knowledge about what to expect. And that's certainly been helpful. 
And what was your reaction when you finally got to play? Because there was quite a big pause there where you go from like expecting to be a club athlete to now you're playing your first U Sports game. And even though it's preseason, like, were you so excited when there's finally like a ref there and a team across the net and like you're wearing a jersey again? Like, what, what was the mood when preseason got announced, you're training for something, and then it finally happens where you got to compete this year? Walking out of the team room and onto the court for the first time and seeing another team there who you're going to be playing against is so incredible let me tell you but just like just a totally different atmosphere even playing for fans just having people cheer for you or even against you doesn't matter they're there and it was just totally different something that i haven't experienced in a while just because of covid so having the opportunity to play in front of fans with a team against another team was just so incredible now, you, you just touched on it and said how competitive the AUS is. And, and obviously, you guys got shut down, and, and I'm excited that you're going to get fired up again. But just in terms of going from an NEP athlete to U Sports to the first semester, like how did you feel about uh, not only competing again, but, but seeing what the AUS has? Like Obviously, you were looking at NCAA and maybe some other schools. But like you said, the AUS is really good this year. The, the strength of schedule is really good. So how are you feeling about your first year and how you're developing as a player in this conference? I think I'm doing a good job this year so far. It's been a slow grind, but it's been a grind. <laughs> um, there's a lot of tough players, good players, good players to compete against for sure. And it's really fun just to go to practice every day and think, I want to beat this team and I want to contribute to our team beating this team or these teams or winning AUS, going to nationals and competing, hopefully winning there too. So it's just been really motivational kind of to go to practice, improve for the team to win. And one thing I, I find interesting about the setter position is, well, one, I, I love the the tactics involved and how technical it is, but really how the team supports itself. So with you guys having three setters on the roster, but you're all pretty young. I think the oldest is actually a second year, right? So how are you guys going through practice? And like, you know, you want to, you want to start and, and your coach is going to run a five one and you want to get all the best reps there, but how are you supporting each other that like somebody can give you feedback and you know, it's not coming from like a competitive or this venomous place and you can give them support. Like how are, how are setters kind of sharing the development without kind of going like, Oh, if she starts, that means I'm not starting. So I'm unhappy. Um, the biggest thing I'd say is to start a connection, like as people. And that's one thing about us as setters. Like our team has three incredible people as setters. And we all just are so supportive of each other and what we're learning. We can give each other feedback. We can take feedback from each other and improve with each other. Each of us getting better improves everybody else as well because they want to start as well. So it's just competitive, but it's competitive in the best way. Because we're all helping each other improve, which is helping each other improve. And actually, in general, looking at your roster, there's a lot of first years this year. There's a lot of there's a young sense to it. Don't get me wrong. There, there's a couple fourth years and a fifth year, but it seems like uh, majority rules here. There's a mostly first year. So, how did you guys kind of develop that? Uh, I don't know, the rookies weren't annoying the vets or that you guys could pick up on like the unwritten team rules and all the stuff that goes into it because uh, I've heard in the past like some university teams will assign rookies to vets. Well, if you guys were to do that this year, I think each vet has like four rookies under them just because there's so many. They're outnumbered, right? So uh, how are you feeling about the team dynamic and not being like the loudmouth rookie in the room when like there's, there's stuff going on and there's certain expectations? Um, yeah, we have four rookies this year and then three COVID first years. So lots of, I guess, technically first-year players just because of COVID. But definitely the vets have kind of like 
taken us under their wing, <laughs> I guess you could say, and really helped us just get used to the program, get to know everybody, and just be really supportive with our learning, our school, our volleyball, just everything. And then that's really helped our team culture as well, just because everybody's so immersed now and everybody's so close with each other. And their leadership has been super helpful. And they're all so experienced with volleyball and just life. <laughs> so just hearing their advice, seeing them every day at practice is super helpful, I think, for everybody. Now, you might be used to it just because of how young you were and, and all these adaptations that had to be moved. Or, or maybe you're just so excited to play. But how is the mood going to change in your mind going from small group practices where I think you told me you were allowed 10 to now this upcoming week as we're recording, you're going to be allowed like full team sessions. Like, does that change the mood or excitement or because you are playing such a technical position, you didn't mind when it was like you and a couple coaches and a couple players getting reps in. Like, is there going to be a different mood when like everybody's in the gym together again? I think the mood is going to be excitement. <laughs> we're all really excited to get back in the gym together, but I think it's going to be really competitive too, because it's going to be more, probably gameplay focus because the last month and a half or so we've been training to improve our tech technical ways because we haven't been able to do things like six on six so having the opportunity to maybe to do oh my god english uh, to maybe do six on six again is this going to be super competitive but everybody's really excited for it and everybody's going to push each other to get better which we always have been doing but it's just going to be a different level and something that we're all looking forward to yeah, like it's going to be a shotgun finish. Like, as uh, U Sports announced that the the Nationals are still a go, but they still kept the date. So it sounds like you guys are going to have two, if not three, matches a week. Like, it, for somebody who enjoys learning and developing, like, is that going to change your focus ever at a point where, man, now it's about performance because we want to go to Nationals, and if we want to go to Nationals, we got to beat a lot of good teams. And oh, by the way, I have homework due, but I have a doubleheader this weekend, and then a game on Wednesday or whatever it's going to look like. Like, do you think the the mood from the coaches or from the players is going to be a touch different just because of how many matches in a short amount of time you guys are going to be expected to play? Uh, the goal is to always get better, but I think the mood almost has to change just because of the amount of matches we're going to be playing in such a short amount of time. Um, everybody wants to win on our team. And I'm sure everybody in the AUS, everybody nationally wants to win. and I, That's really exciting because everybody's going to be really competitive this year. So we have to be equally, if not more competitive. So our practice culture is going to be elevated, I think, not just to improve every, every day, but to perform. And I like the Canada West schedule. I like the idea of a back-to-back -back and you play the same team. And I think it gets really tactical after the first game. But for you guys, like, it wasn't unusual. I'm looking in November to play three games in three days, but against three different teams. So how did you feel like you prepared for that? Because I imagine the lead-in of the practice, it's tempting to, like, plan for Team A that you're going to play on Friday. But that doesn't mean you can ignore Team C on Sunday because that's it's worth just as many points in the standings, right? So uh, how did you get used to the AUS schedule of a little bit of travel involved with these like three games in three days is gnarly on the body, but also how are you planning for each team? Uh, it became a lot about watching a video because in one practice, it's hard to train for three different teams because odds are they're all doing something different. So watching video, doing notes on that video, having a game plan, and having everybody know that game plan so everybody can just talk to each other about it is really important. Whether that's watching it the week before, watching it the night before, just to get a refresher, just knowing what other teams are doing so you can perform your best in the moment. 
Yeah, because I, I imagine it's really tempting just to be like, oh, we played second on Saturday, so we can just watch their game and be ready. But that's such a small sample size where uh, I'm glad to hear that you guys are breaking it up a little by little. And uh, I do think the size of the league might help, right, where you're going to play the same team over and over again. So maybe there's some comfort level about like, well, they did this, then we adjusted in the second game and they adjusted like th- there must be a cat and mouse game going on over the course of the season as well, right? Oh, there absolutely is. If they see something that you're doing, you're going to have to change and then you're going to have to do something that they're doing or change something for what they're doing and then they have to change it. So it constantly is just, like you said, cat and mouse. But it's really interesting, actually, just to watch video of our team progressing against them over the past however many games and then them against us because we're going to have to make changes every game. They're going to make changes every game. Yeah, this is this is exciting. I think if fans in general weren't excited for U Sports to have all the conferences back, like even these little storylines you can pick up on about like, oh, they beat us three one last time, but then we beat them three straight because we adjusted this. Like, there's going to be so many conversations about that stuff. So I'm really excited, really happy that you guys get to play again. Uh, yeah, I think nationals being where it is, I imagine there a lot went into that decision. It seems like a little short, but uh, as a fan, it just seems excited that I get to check the standings every week. And you probably played three games between the time I checked last. <laughs> so this has been great thank you so much for sharing all that you did uh one tradition we we've made on the show is just to kind of showcase that you're you're a big shooter in the volleyball community but the volleyball community can be odd or funny every once in a while so i was hoping you could share a funny story of, of something that volleyball's kind of given you before we let you go sure i i'd say the biggest one that comes to mind is when i was in bc for the national excellence program we we're given the option to bike to the Richmond Olympic Oval every day if the weather permitted and we couldn't get a drive. So I had this purple bike with a big basket on the front, which was incredibly heavy, first of all. And having that, a lunch bag in the basket, my backpack with all of my gear, all my schoolwork in the back, it was a trek to get there. So <laughs> one day, we're about five minutes away from the family that I'm staying with. It's about a 40 minute 30 minute bike ride to the oval so it's not just a big walk <laughs> and we're about five minutes in and i feel something move my handle with my handlebars my bike and i look down and they're just sliding side to side it's like <laughs> only the handlebars attached by the centerpiece i'm like oh no i have like 30 minutes left of this bike ride how am i gonna get there so i keep going five more minutes feel something again and they're going up and down so i'm just going around the sidewalk almost in circles just because i can't control this bike so what i do is i take out some of my athletic tape and i just start wrapping it's like figure eights around the centerpiece uh, just to keep these handlebars in the same place just so i can get to the oval because i think what happened is like the screw that held the centerpiece on the handlebars fell off so it was just bad but ended up getting there almost hit a dog which was upsetting didn't hit the dog almost ran into traffic but got there nonetheless got a drive home I'm glad you were able to find a creative solution there because I can only imagine how upset the coaches would be if you took a spill and couldn't practice that day because your handlebars fell off your bike or something like that (laughs) well this has been awesome thank you so much for sharing all that you did it was good to hear your experience of how the NEPs kind of set you up well and that the AUS is just buzzing right now and it's excited to get back so thanks for all that you shared and we'll have to get you back on the more you learn and compete and have more to share but uh, thanks for all that you shared today 
Awesome. Thanks again. This was awesome.